Hello and welcome to B2B Better, a podcast for the B2B marketer looking for actionable advice they can put into practice today. My name's Jason. I'm a marketing director from the world of enterprise technology. And today we are talking all things client agency relationship. You know, most solo marketers out there are generalists. They wear a lot of different hats across a lot of different skill sets, and they often have to supplement their ability to deliver a marketing strategy with the help of agencies. This could be a full-service agency, one that effectively takes on the role of an entire marketing team, or an agency that's hyper-focused on one particular channel, like content or comms or digital or influencer marketing or anything in between. Whatever the case, there are some foundational questions that must be answered if a marketer and an agency are to have an effective relationship. How do you know if something is the right fit? What does it take to effectively brief a project and set clear expectations? When should you talk budget? On this episode of B2B Better, I sat down with Alex Price, a man who over the last 10 years has built one of the leading boutique web and digital agencies, 93Digital. I asked him to share his thoughts on these questions from the other side, so to speak, countering my experience of working for over a decade in-house. We talk about what it practically takes to make a client agency relationship a success. So if you find yourself on the hunt for some outside help, this is a must listen. Here we go. So today on B2B Better, we are joined by Alex Price, founder and managing director of 93Digital, 93X, and Finite, a very busy guy. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good, Jason. I'm looking forward to talking. So you are, as I mentioned, the founder and managing director of 93Digital, um, which is a digital marketing and WordPress agency. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we at 93Digital specialize in UX design and build, a lot of digital strategy work um, for clients that effectively outputs in typically delivering big WordPress projects. So typically quite marketing focused. Um, we specialize in B2B generally within that B2B tech software SaaS is where we spend a lot of our time working with clients. Um, so everything from typically not startups, but I guess kind of scale ups, which might be series A and beyond if they're on the venture backed journey um, through to much bigger kind of legacy enterprise technology businesses. And so, yeah, delivering the websites that sit at the heart of their their growth that are optimized for SEO and conversion focus and all of the things that matter with a website. Um, and then at 93X, we do all of our digital marketing work. So SEO, PPC content um, predominantly. So once we've delivered a, a website project, have a team that works with our B2B tech clients just on the kind of ongoing digital marketing uh, consultancy and some of those channels I just mentioned. Um, and then Finite as well um, is our to be tech marketers community so that's where we bring together i think about 600 or so now have signed up um i think we've got about 150 or so of those on on slack um but a community for b2b tech marketers to come together and share and learn and grow and um really i guess learn from each other's experiences and share challenges and really founded off the idea that a lot i think a lot of b2b marketers are in quite isolated teams even in quite big tech companies um and so, yeah, we've just finance kind of exploded a bit over the last few months in particular with the difficult times we're in. Um, I think of people wanting to pick people's brains and share um, challenges openly. So, yeah, it's uh, luckily I have some help running all these things and it's not me doing everything on all of them, um, but it can keep me busy. Well, I was going to say, as a, as a newly minted member of, of the finite community, uh, I've just been really struck by the the level of, of quality content that you guys are, are pumping out there. It's just huge value um, for uh, solo B2B marketers or, or, as you say, isolated marketers who are looking to become part of a community and learn. And 
I was going to say, if you're uh, if you're doing it all on your own, where do you find the time? <laughs> so it goes without saying that um, establishing a, a healthy um, uh, client agency relationship is a priority on both sides, right? Sure, because yeah. from a client point of view, you know, you are paying for for services for the delivery of work that uh, need to. Um, be of be of a certain standard mm-hmm. um, in order to complete whatever it is the objectives that you're trying to set out, whether yeah. that's digital content um, or otherwise. And then from the agency point of view, you know it's it's um, it's important that you find the right fit because uh, it can cause a lot of headaches if if you work with the wrong kinds of clients because they they do exist. Um, starting here, what what do you say or what would you say is a healthy client agency relationship? What does it look like in your opinion? So I think for me that the kind of openness and trust sits at the heart of it. And obviously, as with any relationship, trust isn't something that happens from, you know, just selecting an agency and uh, signing the statement of work and it's suddenly there. It, it takes time um, to build up. But I think, you know, there are things that can happen, which we can maybe talk about, I think, earlier on, even even in the procurement selection process of working with an agency where some of those foundations can can start to be laid. Yeah, I mentioned to you before that the the way I've often looked at it is is similar to how a company might look at their relationship with an employee. Um, and so when you when you think about the client agency relationship, I think there's a lot of things you can think about if, if you're uncertain if you go back to well, how would how would we approach this situation if we were dealing with an employee rather than an agency i think there's a lot of merit to that train of thought potentially um and that goes for everything from hiring them to um the interview process um to performance reviews to what happens if they're underperforming and what kind of conversations do you have i think there's potentially a lot of mirrors that could be taken across to the client agency relationship too but again maybe we can dig into that a bit more I think that's a great point. And, you know, from, from my personal experience working with agencies over the last 10 years or so, the best relationships and freelancers, the best relationships that, that I've had have been the ones where, you know, it feels like they are a natural extension of the team. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. There is a, a trap one can fall into where it is a kind of us versus them. And mm. the relationship feels purely transactional you know? Yeah. And obviously it is, you know, well, no, obviously to a degree it is, yeah. it's, it's a, we're two businesses and we're, we're working towards a common goal, of course. but honesty, trust, um, making both parties feel like they're working towards the same objective as part of, as part of the same team. I think that's the secret source and it's difficult to get there, but I think that's the secret source, um, in achieving a successful client agency relationship, would you say? Yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe this leads us on to the the kind of selection process to some extent. Um, yeah. That's where you want to head next. But I just feel like that's so much of this really starts with the foundations. Um, and I think, you know, the, I guess ultimately it's the client that typically defines the, the process of how are they going to go about selecting an agency they're working with. Um, and that process, I think, in itself can set so much for the rest of the working relationship. Um, and so I think we could probably record a whole other episode on procurement processes and um, <laughs> how they should work. And uh, But I, we can't, I think we can't not talk about it a bit in that um, 
for me it's it's probably the biggest early indicator of what the rest of the relationship might look like with a client um so i mean i can give you an example of of a rfp we received i think on friday last week um mm. which came with the message please do not call us uh we're not allowed to talk questions have to be in writing um and uh we've after i i asked them a couple of questions anyway which they did respond to <laughs> ahead of time <laughs> um it turned out the rfp had been shared with 14 agencies so Ooh. when typically when when we receive something like that i mean i guess i don't know how that sounds to yourself it would be good to hear your view but but alarm bells are ringing i guess on a on a number of fronts for me well, my, you can't see it, but my eyebrows just shot up to the top of my head. Um, I mean, uh, taking taking questions only in writing, it says a lot about an organization. Yeah. Um, and I think it's driven by wanting a transparent and fair process, which, but I think you can achieve transparency and fairness at the same time as being able to have a open, early consultative relationship with an agency. Like you can... You can still get questions in writing and circulate them to all the agencies, so everybody has a chance to work off the same. You know, I, I kind of understand why that that process is important, but to just be to have had no prior engagement at all, and we we have some guidelines on our on our website near our contact form about kind of working with us and typically what kind of things we take on. And I guess as a as a qualifier, if there's more than five agencies being invited to the process, then um, uh, it, we we would just feel that it's not a great fit for us and I guess we're lucky that overall we we're generally invited to more work than we are able to respond to or take on and so sometimes we have to make tough decisions about what we can go for um and so number of agencies is, is one of those things that we we look at I guess my view on it is that if you if you do need to go out to more than five you're at risk of a wasting actually a lot of internal time as a client reviewing 14 briefs potentially um mm. that's going to take a heck of a lot of time um but you're also uh potentially wasting a lot of agency time and so let's say then that a, a decision has been made an agency has been appointed what would be your tips for a client and for an agency i guess on setting clear expectations from the start on the project itself yeah so this is a great one i, I think again if i can use the analogy of how would you onboard a a, cl- uh, a new employee into into your business i think there's a lot of parallels so you can think about an onboarding process i think in much the same way um in terms of we would typically uh if we're kicking off a website project then we'll, we'll be going through some degree of internal research we'll be preparing a kind of big kickoff session presentation deck um and we'll then at a minimum have a kind of couple of hours of kickoff with the client ideally with all the stakeholders in the project involved so even if we're we're told that we're going to be working with X person who's marketing manager or um, VP marketing, whoever it is. Um, I think we always encourage the wider stakeholder group to be involved in that, in that I think everybody having understanding of you know, just why the project's happening and um, what the objectives are and keeping everybody focused on what we're trying to achieve as an outcome and that, giving them an understanding of the process, I think is really important. Um, I think probably the biggest challenge for us as an agency is is stakeholders generally on, on the client side and um i think we're we are very regularly told that you know we sign off on stuff really quickly and we're you know as a marketing team we can make decisions and inevitably it almost well i wouldn't say almost always it fairly regularly ends up that 
someone from a team somewhere halfway around the world or um you know we've we've delivered a project for a plc here in london and i had a ux and design and literally ended up having blown out massive cardboard cutouts of the website homepage and was in the office of the ceo talking through them um so great that he's engaged in the project actually and like you know i think it's fantastic that the project went that far up and you know an organization employing tens of thousands of people um but that that just that one incident and fitting that into the calendar of a ceo probably extended the project by one to two months overall wow. um, so stakeholders and and alignment there's really key I, I think i always encourage clients to put together like even if it's just a, a one pager that basically says this is who's managing the project this is you know the, the time involved this is when we'll ask for your input just a one pager that they can circulate with everybody um within their their business that just sets out i guess it's almost like having an sla between marketing and sales right like it's it's this is how the project is running um and it gives everybody a chance to to kind of raise a concern early on if they want to um we do always recommend the clients appoint and actually we put this in kind of statements of work that we have one voice of the project one kind of product owner almost um again just to avoid any uh kind of misalignment of stakeholder feedback or um stuff that comes comes back to us and we share work with them i i agree with that and and i think it's it's difficult from the client side um because i think often in particularly b2b organizations where maybe marketing is not viewed as critical as a function as something like sales or as product mm. um non kind of marketing led organizations it's very easy um for the for the business to fall into a trap of marketing by committee and um everyone feels like that they can have an opinion on mm. like i wouldn't dream to go into an engineering department <laughs> and tell a python developer that his his codes you know screwed up because i have no idea what i'm talking about um uh, I probably wouldn't even understand what I'm seeing on the screen, to be honest. Um, but, you know, marketing is different because we all experience it every day in one form or another. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes where this issue and this challenge can arise because um, you start off with the best of intentions where uh, we we assign one point person and, you know, we, we formalize a, um, a review structure and a review process. Mm. But someone within the organization sees um in an email attachment uh the 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 mock-ups of the new designs and then you know gets it gets a bug in the leadership's ear and then suddenly it becomes a big issue i'm sure you've had had situations like that in your past where even though a process has been formalized at the beginning ultimately things spin a little bit more out of control sure yeah yeah and particularly with like some of the projects we deliver are inevitably going to last months and and more and like you know people have holidays and people get sick and people leave and people join and things change right these are complex projects that that can last a fair amount of time and so yeah there's always going to be external factors which can influence things um i think it's, it's always a slightly tricky one for us to communicate carefully because i think you know we, we've got timesheets our, our team fill out timesheets for every uh, minute that they spend on on projects um so we we can look back on hundreds of historical projects over years and you know varying shapes and sizes and scopes and we can search through them and using that historical data i can tell you to probably within 
minutes, if not hours, how long a project of a certain scope is probably going to take if, if we're talking about a website project, for example. Um, so we can forecast exactly how many hours are going to go into that pretty accurately. What we can't forecast when we build out a timeline is is the, the stuff we've just talked about in terms of um, stakeholders and alignment and I guess just culturally how quickly the client moves to and that some clients are there and available and will give us feedback same day and others it's you know it's a week a week-long process so if, if we build out a gantt chart that has one to two weeks for every feedback loop you're going to end up with a project that's potentially taking 50 60 70 percent longer than what it could do potentially um so yeah it's it can be a little bit frustrating for us in that the, the biggest unknowns and the biggest variable factors uh in a timeline are often kind of out of our control I think one of the ways to to address this challenge is also the, the process that you establish in um, uh, submitting feedback to the agency, but also how those updates are then communicated back to the client. Yeah, um, I've certainly found myself in situations, great situations, working with agencies where um, you know we've been making suggestions to the design of the website we're having built, and you know we're getting envision boards back that yeah. very clearly you know highlight you know what changes have been made. Um, uh, compared to the previous versions and the kind of any rationale um, have been has been explained really thoroughly and then I've had feedback submitted which is kind of like an email with a PNG attachment and I'm kind of trying to figure it out myself like how how has this changed like you know where's my feedback been applied yeah and especially when you're having to go as a marketer go back into your organization and uh, as the point person and kind of gather as much feedback as you can before taking it back to the agency for the next round mm-hmm. i feel the quality that those updates have been provided to you in the first place just make that job so much easier yeah yeah and there's a lot of tools out there like envision you mentioned um envision we kind of love and hate in that it's great to get easy feedback but it's almost too easy to leave feedback so you can kind of the floodgates occasionally open through envision um mm. in that you just click and type uh but you know, you can keep a bit of a record there. You know, we use project management software and different tools. I think that's, yeah, maybe a challenge to think about is that often picking up the phone can be the quickest and easiest way to explain something. But then at the same time, it can be good to have something in writing that is kind of nested and threaded and in a project management tool that then there's a kind of a bit of history and stuff's written down, which which obviously our, our project managers can do anyway, even if it comes in through a, a call. Um, but yeah, I completely agree that that, that communication of the back and forth is is pretty key and and I think just key for us in managing expectations like I always tell the team that I think I think this is the same for any services business really is that managing expectations is kind of the number one the number one skill I think if there's a, a delay of any kind for whatever reason if we tell the client half an hour before they're expecting deliverable then damn right they have a right to be pissed off by that frankly hmm. um if we tell them two weeks in advance and we explain why i can't see why most reasonable clients would be you know obviously unless there's a serious event deadline coming up or something if we give our clients the chance to then communicate that internally themselves and not have to deal with the the issues that come up through us effectively making our client look bad which i think can be a risk um then i think it can work for everyone so yeah i think managing expectations is like my number one agency skill i think i want to talk a little bit about um what you could argue is the most important part of any project, which is the budget. Um, and uh, talking through, you know, your thoughts on when and how this should be disclosed 
yeah. to an agency. I mean, obviously, I think it's in the best interest of of the agency to have a number sooner rather than later um, in order to most effectively be able to quote. Yeah. But then on the client side, obviously, um, uh, if anything, for a negotiation tactic, holding back that number um, gives you more time to to try and strike a good deal. Of course. Uh, yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think this this is one that I've kind of changed views on over the years. I guess first of all, I think it's probably best to clarify that I think it somewhat depends on the nature of the work to some extent. So my experience and maybe this is similar for you is that digital marketing work if if a client's looking for um an agency to do just seo for example um in a lot of cases channel work like that is is a bit more formally budgeted for i think um it's it's a line item somewhere whereas website projects i think um a there's a lot more uncertainty about uh how they are costed um and B, I think a lot of in a lot of cases people just don't really know. So my general experience is that clients come to us with digital marketing briefs, which say you know we've got four or five grand a month to spend on X, Y, Z, and you know that's it's built into a budget, so it's just there to be talked about. But with a website project, I'd say about seventy five percent of the time we get a, a budget disclosed either in the brief or when we just ask um, pretty soon after receiving the brief. Um, and so I think that's that's gradually got better probably with time um, in that we've, we've had a budget disclosed more often. I think what I always explain to clients is that I use the analogy of buying a car and going into, you know, if, if you went into a, a car showroom that sold all different types of car and said you needed a car with four doors, seats and a radio, um, you know, the car salesman could could try and sell you a eight grand car and could try and sell you a 60 grand car both meet the brief as such um but he's potentially at risk of doing you a massive disservice if you actually need for whatever reason the 60 grand car rather than the eight grand one um and i think website projects are particularly challenging in that respect in that with a car you've got things that you can touch and feel and see whereas if i try and explain to a client the value of building a website with um i don't know a, a a Vue.js headless front end or something um, that might not go um, particularly well in terms of trying to to kind of put forward the reasoning behind why that might be a better technical solution. Um, so communicating the value of, particularly on on digital projects like websites, I think from our perspective can be, be a bit more challenging. But I think for in order for us to put forward the best possible proposal and solution tailored to the client's needs i think we, we typically only do that when we're provided some degree of of budget um I, I just think even with a simple brochure site inevitably there are a number of ways we could approach things um in terms of the, the solution there's particularly in the world of wordpress there's varying degrees of kind of starter points in terms of whether you're building everything completely from scratch or not so we could probably even for a very straightforward brief spend weeks preparing endless different types of proposals at different price points um and so really feel that unless we're given some kind of guidance um uh it, it's very difficult for us to do that so yeah it's uh it's a tricky one I, I think um in a nutshell my my view is that if anything it it helps the client as much as the agency to to be relatively transparent with budget but at the flip side of that is i completely understand how challenging it can be 
on some types of work to even know what the budget is. I think a lot of marketers we speak to don't actually really have a formal budget or they haven't they haven't even had those discussions internally and they're looking to get proposals to then feed those discussions rather than vice versa, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, coming from the other side, I think sometimes there is a little bit of um, trepidation from the client side because, mm-hmm. as, as you said, you know, when it comes to like websites, there's a, there's a huge spectrum um, of what you could pay and what you could get back. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like it could be difficult for clients to know exactly, well, how much should I be paying? And then that in turn leads them to wanting to withhold whatever budget they've got because I've certainly found myself especially at the start of my career where I was like you know commissioning my first eight commissioning my first agency to build out um build out the website for the business I was working for yeah um I didn't really know you know how much should I be paying I knew there was a number that I'd been given by my boss but was I going to be getting you know value for money from that number um and it certainly led me to kind of drag out the uh, the time that it took for me to actually present that final number to to the agencies because I just wanted to kind of I wanted to get as good an idea as possible um, on on what I'd be getting back for that money and how that compared across the yeah. three or four agencies that I was I was working with at the time. Makes sense. I think it really starts with how you know what are you looking for in an agency to begin with because I think if you go with a inevitably there's going to be a difference in price between a four person small agency that's outside of London somewhere that's two years old versus a twenty five person agency that's got much more specialist roles and um uh works you know follows much more kind of strategic processes and how they approach a a project and quality should be high and all those kind of things and so you might have a 60 pound hourly rate versus 100 pound hourly rate and so there's a lot of factors which i think can just naturally affect an agency's cost base which then obviously reflects the, the total price for for a client but yeah i completely agree with that i think it's you know i i have to remind the team sometimes that even the most experienced of marketers that VP CMO level might only have even been loosely involved in you know, a handful of website projects over their entire career. Like we're doing these, we're, we're, we're living and breathing these projects all day, every day. They're very natural to us, the terminology used, how we describe things. But we have to remember that this is not, you know, people have other stuff they need to work on as marketers and website projects aren't the, the be all and end all. They're critical projects when they come up. Um, but a lot of the time, people haven't had a chance to to really invest in them. I guess to the, to the point around, uh, I guess there's sometimes a a fear from the client that if they give an amount upfront, then the agency is going to try and just spend all of that. Um, and I guess I would up up to a certain point, I would say, yeah, a hundred percent. That's exactly what we would do because inevitably, the more that we spend on the project, the better the project's going to be to some extent. And obviously, that starts to to level off at some point um if you're building a three-page site for a local plumber you know uh, 200 grand is just going to be <laughs> way too much money uh, whichever mm-hmm. way you cut it but um i think there is a there is a uh, you know from my perspective the more budget we have the better we can approach a number of different variables within the within the project and so in most cases if the budget's there we would want to spend as, as much of it as possible ultimately that that budget translates into time of our team and you know that might be an extra two days of seo research or you know all the things that can really lay successful foundations for a project we can invest more into um with with budget that's available so yeah it's a 
it's a difficult one overall. Um, I guess if we get to a point where we think a brief still is a really good fit and it's a perfect fit for us and you know, we really want to work on it, but we're still not getting anything in terms of budget guidance. I'm very happy to be upfront about budgets that we take on and we've we've got a page on our site that we link to from our contact form before people get in touch saying like, you know, these are the type of budget ranges we work with and um, top end and low end. And, you know, I can tell you from HubSpot, our average project size is 47K or something in that range for, for website projects. And um, yeah, well, I, I can be completely open about that. And I, I'd rather, I'd much rather follow that route and leave that with the client and say, look, this is the range we typically work in. Very happy to move this forward and put a proposal together for you, but would appreciate if you can have a bit of a chat internally first um because obviously if we if we put together a proposal that's going to be significant amounts of time and costs of our team contributing to the proposal and we generally want to try and make sure that if we do that you know the budget is available um and we don't we don't end up wasting time on proposals that aren't aren't going to be a good fit from the get-go just because the, the budget doesn't actually exist yeah i think you're absolutely right and I, I think it comes down to two things one it's social proof right we want we yeah. want evidence that you know um not that i'm suggesting agencies do this but we're being shortchanged mm-hmm. um that we're getting value for our money that's in line with you know the going rate within the market yeah and then the other thing i think is flexibility mm-hmm. and i've always been i've always wanted to ask an agency candidly about this you know things one of the things i've done in the past is when asking for a budget is asking for a kind of bronze silver gold version yeah. of said budget where okay you know absolute maximum you know if we got all the bells and whistles that we're asking for how much would that come in at and then if it's bare bones we'll get the job done but perhaps is lacking some of the uh, the cool interesting features and functionality yeah. um, that maybe we can implement later down the line what would that look like and what's kind of the middle ground um, and then you know giving me the option when we're kind of going through this um, proposal phase to see what each of the line items are and mm. being able to kind of play around with it myself to, to get to a point that I can kind of go back to the company, go back within the business and present it to the board and say, yeah. you know, here are the options basically on the table. Well, I mean, how does that sit with you as an agency owner? Yeah, so it's it's a good point. We do get asked for, for what you've described occasionally. I think the challenge for us is it can be quite tricky to kind of ring fence individual kind of bits of functionality um, in that almost everything has a sliding spectrum as to how complex it can be. So if you take, for example, um, I don't know, like a, a content hub on a site. So imagine like a, I don't know, resources, news, blog section. We could have, we could probably describe to you a simple content hub, a medium content hub and a complex one. The simple one is just a grid of posts the medium one has some searching and filtering and the the top end one has like, I don't know, integration with a external search platform and push notifications and all those other bits and pieces. Trying to pin kind of specific design and development kind of hours on each of those things can be quite hard to do in a way that then ring fences them from other bits of functionality. So I think within a website project, any not all bits are kind of individual components there are interdependencies and things you know templates and layouts might be used across different sections of the site so it's not always easy to just split things out into line items without them knocking on other bits if that makes sense where it becomes a little bit easier is when you look at the you know the full scope of the project and 
you know, which includes things like the discovery phase and yeah. the SEO um, keyword analysis. And then you kind of package in, you package up the website development and design as a whole thing, you know, rather than kind of splitting it out into the various components. Um, uh, so maybe a happy middle ground is is that. That's our, that's our preference in, in most cases. I mean, every project we do starts with a standalone strategy discovery definition phase of some kind. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be extensive. Um, but that's always but it can, but it can be it can be yeah um, so right. i guess it's anywhere from probably a few thousand pounds of work to sometimes tens of thousands of pounds of like user research and user journey mapping and lead qualification workshops and technical um kind of solution architecture work and seo research and analytics audits and competitors the list can go on it's a bit of a menu of things that we can or can't do and sometimes we're almost defining the client's whole kind of digital marketing strategy almost to some extent through the course of setting the direction for the website that's come to us when they've got user personas and they've got you know some of these things in place so they don't need to go through every piece of that work um but our preference you know i, I think the dream brief for us is we're not interested in the rest of the project yet you know we want to work with you on it but we know the value of doing good strategy discovery definition work first and you know we actually we did a um a pitch a couple of weeks ago where the client, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd given the client an indication of what the full design and build could look like, um, which is experienced marketing director. He said, "Look, can you just take that slide out because I'm just gonna, I just really want to focus internally on educating stakeholders as to why this, you know, the most important part of any website project comes at the start, and I don't want to anchor them around costs of anything else yet. Um, I just want to focus on this. So, yeah, I think that's the best way of doing it. But in most cases, I think." clients don't want to commit to working with an agency unless they've got a pretty solid indication of what the total project cost is going to be. Um, again, we could probably record a whole other episode on value of discovery definition work and whether or not, you know, how to break those down. Um, so I guess in most instances, we end up saying to a client that we think the project can sit here plus minus 20% overall. Once we've been through the discovery and definition statement of work, then all of that will be locked down and it will become a fixed cost, but you need to give us a chance to you know, audit your current site and see how long the content migration is going to take. And there's always things that we we can have a bit of a guess at, but until we've done some quite deep planning work and and strategy work, we we can't be sure of. Um, so I don't know whether that's. I mean, what what's your experience of kicking off projects with that type of work, kind of standalone? I think um, it really depends on on the organisation because I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it. I feel like in some instances organizations won't necessarily be sophisticated enough to really benefit from a huge amount of kind of strategy work at the kickoff of a project. It's, it's important to kind of contextualize and frame and justify the the decisions that are going to be made over the course of the project. But Mm -hmm. I think particularly in B2B um, where, as I mentioned before, you have organizations that aren't necessarily marketing led um, and that it, it is just another, checkbox in the long list of things as a business they do yeah um just getting a website is the primary objective and i've certainly found myself in situations where i certainly see the value in going through that that kind of strategy envisioning piece at the beginning mm-hmm. um but presenting it to uh, an executive team or to a board it can come across as a little bit uh unnecessary or yeah. a little bit kind of this is just you know, 
marketing BS and we just need a website <laughs> set up as quickly as possible. Like, why yeah. are we talking about this? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think then it comes to, again, you know, a good relationship between the point person and the agency mm. and making sure that you're framing the value of that in real, tangible, practical terms. And I, I find like as often as you can frame it in in terms that um, uh, generate some sort of um, sales benefit, yeah. um, that, that that's usually what moves the needle when I've been in those situations before. The, for the solo marketer listening to this episode, you know, my advice would be when you're, you know, if you are commissioning an agency and your mandate has been, or you've been mandated to develop a new and design a new website, and you've got a budget for an agency to do that. My advice would be to, if you have to sacrifice some of the design and the development to go through even a small strategic piece at the beginning of the project, mm. it can not only benefit the project itself the website, but it can actually filter through across all of your communications 100%. because, you know, solo marketers strapped for time. They're doing, they're doing web, they're doing content, they're doing PR, they're doing events. You know, yeah. it's sometimes easy to kind of, uh, sometimes it's difficult to kind of take a step back and actually think, why am I doing this and who am I doing this for? And, um, finding the time to do that. So, you know, working with an agency to develop a website who offers that kind of strategic service that you offered, um, is a great opportunity to actually let someone else do a little bit of the heavy lifting for you mm-hmm. that, as I say, can then feed into the, to the rest of the work. Yeah. I think that's the value is that we sometimes find we, we kick off a website project and we've kind of accidentally defined like a whole content strategy that's SEO driven as part of the, <laughs> the, the kickoff of the website. I mean, the client's got, you know, all the keywords and that feeding into, into site maps and IAs and stuff that gives them ideas for like 30 blog posts for the next six months or something. So yeah, there's, there's definitely ripple effects. So much more we could talk about. Um, and I think we've, we've come up with ideas for maybe three additional episodes over the course <laughs> of this one, um, which I, I certainly want to take you up and record at some point in the future, but guys, so, uh, I'm going to thank you very much for, uh, for joining me on B2B better today. And anyone who wants to, um, to, to find out more about you or, or 93 digital or finite, where can they go? Uh, LinkedIn, probably best, uh, Alex price, uh, 93digital.co.uk, um, or just drop me an email. It's just Alex at 93digital.co.uk. That's great. Well, thanks very much, Alex. Really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jason. And that's it for episode four of B2B Better. A huge thank you to Alex for joining me on this podcast. If you're a B2B marketer, I highly recommend you check out the Finite community. It's an amazing resource for making connections and improving your craft. If you found this useful, please share it with your colleagues, leave a rating, uh, review, subscribe. It's all really appreciated. And if you've got any questions at all, you can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or visit the B2B Better website at www.b2b-better.com. See you next time.